You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Would you pray with me uh, to begin this morning? God, thank you for time to sit under the authority of your word. So I pray that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word for the equipping of these saints and for the repentance of faith of those who may not yet believe. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's your favorite part of Christmas? Pastor Brad noted last week that his favorite aspect is the lights. He loves the white lights that adorn homes during this season. And we stopped by his house earlier this week And Allison has decked the tally halls with rich red poinsettia, lots of greenery, and the requisite white lights. So are the lights your favorite part of the Christmas season? Uh, The shopping you accomplished on Friday, that's your favorite part? What do you think my favorite part is? Uh, uh, mm. For those who have known me a while, you know it's not the self-evident thing. Um, As the worship leader, you probably think I'm going to say the music, right? But for me, it's actually uh, the giving of of gifts. My favorite aspect of the Christmas holiday is the task of choosing something that's just right for somebody else. I just wish I had the money to actually do this thing. Um, But I'm in ministry, so you know how it is. Uh, So my favorite thing is not Christmas music. Because there is a time and a place. And October is neither the time nor the place for Christmas music. Thank you, brother. But some of you clearly disagree, okay? Some of, you are, some of you are post-Halloween Christmas music people. Do you have no place in your heart for Thanksgiving? Does it mean nothing to you what we just ate this weekend? And others of you are early November Christmas music people for whom that same rebuke still stands. What's your hurry? The year is going to be over so fast. But still others of you are post-Thanksgiving Christmas music folks. And for you, I give thanks. (laughs) After the leftovers have been placed in the fridge, then the Christmas music may begin. So let me ask you another question. What's your favorite Christmas song? As a worship leader, although I'm a bit of a Christmas music Grinch, I fully and completely respect the power of Christmas songs. In fact, they're really deep, formative memories that we create during the season in part because we have our senses of hearing, smell, sight, and taste all assaulted at once. So this impact on all of our senses, it helps these memories wire very securely in our brains because we're, we're made to remember this way. So for instance, when I smell a wood fire and I taste turkey and mashed potatoes and I hear the crumpling of football pads through TV speakers, I can immediately see uh, Sarah's Uncle Bill's house in my mind. My memories transport transport me there. So when we see the ornaments hanging on the tree, we smell the seasonal fragrances, whichever Yankee candle that is for you, taste (laughs) taste the fruitcake, and and then we hear the Christmas medley in the Muzak at the mall. The Christmas season is knit deeply in our memories from our earliest days. So you know what's beautiful? 
is that God made us that way. Not the shopping smelly way, but God made us to be a feasting, rejoicing, singing people. Because the people of God have always had holidays and feasts and celebrations built into the yearly calendar in a similar way to us. Because you couldn't go more than a month without some sort of feast or cycle of remembrance if you were growing up in the time of Jesus. And you can't go a month without a Hallmark holiday and a day out of school here in the U.S. But in all seriousness, God delights in feasts and celebration. Our redemption and restoration will climax in a giant feast, in a marriage reception. And one of the things that I've mentioned before is that God's self-revelation very often leads to the response of song and scripture. So I think one of the ways, one of the reasons that the holiday season, particularly Christmas holiday, resonates so deeply with people, whether they're Christian or not, is that we have been made to feast and to sing. It's in our souls. It's in the way that we reflect the Imago Dei. There's something deeply right about gathering to eat and to sing and to remember rightly. So now that you've thought about it a bit, what's your favorite Christmas song? Most likely your favorite song has a favorite memory attached to it. Something about the context of the song or the particular setting of the arrangement, who you were with the first time you heard it or sang it. Or maybe it's something about that particular song that reminds you of this creator God who chose to be born in Bethlehem. So Matt Papa is notorious for saying, songs are sermons people remember. I'm just saying. I mean, he said it, not me. Uh, But the moment that I might begin to take pride in a statement like that is the moment that I realize, hey, that's pretty serious. (laughs) It's a tremendous responsibility to steward the words put into the mouths of the congregation every week. And the songs of Christmas, in particular, they set the stage for what we believe about Jesus and about the gospel. So there's a reason that we don't sing Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer together in corporate worship. Right? I don't, I don't agree with how that song depicts God. I mean, what kind of God would allow that to happen to Grandma? I also guarantee that we will not sing I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus for multiple reasons. But, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we need to sing that during Advent. We need to remember the vast silence, what that was like before God came in Jesus. We need to remember what Emmanuel means, God with us. These are truths that shape how we understand God. And that's a sermon that I do indeed hope you will remember for years to come. Bless you. Papa has also paraphrased a guy named Andrew Fletcher who said, Give me the songs of a people and I care not who writes their laws. So like I mentioned, there's, there's power in the use of song, especially songs that we sing together. The heart of a people is expressed in and formed by their songs, not necessarily their laws. So our hearts as children of God are expressed first and then formed by the songs we sing in response to God's love for us. So hope can be kindled and stoked to a flame by the song of a people. And hope is stronger than any legislation. 
to the sure and certain hope that we have in Jesus. That's what fed the fires of the spread of the gospel 2,000 years ago, and it sustains and spurs us on as well. The songs we sing have the power to fan those flames. So this morning, we will consider the first Christmas songs. They're found in Luke chapters 1 and 2. Now, they've been adapted many times over the centuries. I doubt that any of you necessarily chose one in your mind when I said, what's your favorite Christmas song? So actually, in order to keep the blood flowing, too, I'm going to ask that we stand together as I read each song. So I'm going to start in Luke 1 with Mary's song. And then I want to point out three things about each of these songs of Christmas. The context, the intended audience, and the hook. The central theme, if you will. Because every song has a hook when the DJ revolves it, right? A line that characterizes its uniqueness and helps you identify it and remember it. So, so 10,000 Reasons is also known as Bless the Lord because of the hook in the chorus. Uh, the hymn Man of Sorrows is also called Hallelujah, What a Savior because of the hook in the refrain. So as we cover these elements of the original Christmas songs, uh, consider how these three elements might help you evaluate the Christmas songs that you love, the ones that you want your children and grandchildren to know and to love. Because there's certainly a place for Frosty the Snowman, but please consider the place of, oh, come let us adore him. So would you stand for our first song? This is Mary's song of praise from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So here's the context for Mary's song. Because remember, if you know the context of a song, it helps make it that much more meaningful. So if you want to get deeper into these contexts, notice that I'm pulling these straight from the stories right here in Luke. So over the next several weeks, during the course of Advent, I would highly encourage you to read through the Luke narrative and the Matthew narrative of when Jesus is born. But here's the context for Mary's song. Mary has just arrived to visit Elizabeth to meet her cousin and mentor, basically, to discuss what just happened. Because she couldn't Snapchat or text Elizabeth, so Luke says she arose and went with haste. So Mary's trying to process the news that was just announced to her by an angel. Okay, she was rightly overwhelmed and probably really confused at what was happening. So she arrives at Elizabeth's house, and baby John does a flip in Elizabeth's womb. 
And so all of you women who have been pregnant can empathize with this, that she probably almost threw up when that happened. (laughs) But instead of being nauseated, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she speaks a blessing over Mary. And this blessing helps the angel's message to Mary kind of take root and settle in her heart. The reality of what is happening finally sets in. And she has a great peace about it because of Elizabeth's blessing, so she responds in a beautiful song. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible on your device or in your lap, um, leave open to these songs as I'm talking about them so you can just marinate in the text. So Mary's song, continuing this context, is filled with Scripture. Practically every line is drawn from the First Testament or the Old Testament, or for her at the time, the Bible. She quotes from or alludes to Psalm 111, Psalm 89, Psalm 97, and Psalm 118. And then she alludes to Hannah's song from 1 Kings and to the prophecy in Habakkuk. So this reminds us that there really are no better words for praising God than what he has already given us in the Bible. Especially when we are overwhelmed, whether in joy or sadness. You don't have time to get creative when you've just received overwhelming news. Rather, your mind will respond with the language with which it's been shaped. So Mary's heart and mind were shaped by Scripture. So when words would have otherwise failed her, she let the Scripture sing through her. Mary's song is also filled with a lot of these reversals that you probably noticed. The moral reversal of scattering the proud. The social reversal of bringing down the mighty on their thrones and then exalting the humble. And then the spiritual reversal of filling the hungry, sending away the rich. So the context for Mary's song here is her, it's, it's her response to the news that was just announced to her. And it's the ways that scripture just sings through her. And the audience So the audience for Mary's song basically is just Elizabeth and then John by way of the womb. Because babies can hear all this stuff. You know that, right? I mean, I firmly believe that's why Judah and Clara love to sing as much as they do. Because they've been hearing mommy and daddy sing praise songs and mommy sing in the car since conception. And Jesse is our, he's our instrumental musician so far. But same thing applies. So I believe that this song that Mary sang was inspired by the Spirit and then held close as an important memory, both to Mary and Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, she probably shared this song with her husband, who we'll talk about in just a moment. And I'm sure that Mary shared this song with Joseph. Mary may have sung this often to Jesus while he was in her womb. And thankfully, because Luke records the text of this song, I believe that we are part of the intended audience as well. So the hook for this song is a little harder to narrow down. Uh, This song is called the Magnificat, which is Latin from my soul magnifies the Lord. So that's one hook for sure, the opening line. Um, But there are other foundational themes in Mary's song that propel it forward. For instance, why is she blessed? She didn't earn it. (laughs) It's all because of God. And here's a hook. God remembers God remembers his promises, and we see this promise and fulfillment theme in the promise of the angel, 
the testimony of flipping John and Elizabeth's blessing, and then Mary's song celebrates it, that God remembers his servants, which is even more potent when we remember that it had been centuries of silence between God and his people, no prophet to speak on God's behalf for 400 years, but God remembers. I also love the theme of generations in Mary's song. That's almost a hook to me, like a mother singing about her child. So, of course, the idea of generations is natural, but there's this reverberation that begins in Mary's song and echoes through every Christmas celebrated since. Every time that Jesus' birth has been celebrated, new generations have been affected by Mary's child and the prophecy and promises that he fulfills. There are actually many similarities between Mary's song, the first Christmas song, and Zechariah's song, the second Christmas song. So would you stand with me again as I read from Luke 1. This is verses 68 through 79. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is again the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the context for Zechariah's song is yet another amazing story that's packed into these first two chapters of Luke's gospel. So Cliff's Notes version, Zach has been mute for nine to ten months because he argued with God, basically not a good idea. And his muteness as a priest would have been especially notable. So it's, it's like if I wasn't able to sing any songs for the next nine months, when I try to put myself in those shoes, I'm sure that Zachariah went through the process of embarrassment, of, of not being chosen to fulfill certain priestly duties. And certainly, he wasn't able to pray out loud. So it had been a really long year. At John's birth... He couldn't even shout, it's a boy, or tell his wife how awesome she was. So this brings us to the immediate context for this song. They're at the temple for the naming and circumcision of John. So Zach may have been expecting to be able to speak at John's birth, but rather than be bitter or angry with the Lord, Zachariah shows his humility and faithfulness to God. 
by writing down the name John for those at the temple who are questioning the choice. So again, read the story, get the full context. So as, as a priest, Zechariah's heart and mind, they are filled with the Psalms, even more than young Mary. And Zechariah was a self-professed old man who'd been serving in the temple, presumably singing the songs of David for his whole life. So just like Mary, and even more so, he was filled with the Scripture. And we also, for context, we see this promise and fulfillment theme again in Zechariah's song. And he refers to the promises to David and to Abraham. In particular, uh, those verses are, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Then again, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. One of the most potent, scripture-saturated parts of this song is in verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the word translated sunrise here is such a poetic picture, right? But it's much more than that. So this word literally means rising light. It can also be translated day spring, which we sang a little earlier. Or even in its idiomatic form, it's sprout from Jesse. So Zechariah has foreshadowed Revelation twenty two sixteen. Where Jesus says, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. He's also foreshadowed John 8, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And certainly, Zechariah has one of these later prophets on his mind, whose prophecy rang out in the 400 years of silence, calling for hope and patience for God's people. In Malachi 4.2, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. So the audience for Zechariah's song, and includes the temple and, and all the neighbors. It says that literally here in the text. So think about it. These neighbors, they've been watching this guy gesture, and they've been reading his face and reading notes jotted down for almost a year. And now God has opened his mouth. And he is filled with the Holy Spirit, praising God at the top of his newly awakened voice. And yet, he's also speaking a blessing over his newborn son, John. And I can almost imagine him cradling John. And when it gets to that part of the song, it's hard to speak again. And then he concludes with the sunrise picture. So, so can you even imagine being in the temple that day? Like, you talk about that for a long time. Or can you imagine being one of Zechariah's neighbors? You'd, similarly, you'd spread the word about this remarkable story and this powerful song that Zechariah sang over his son and the one to come after his son. So, so if you can't tell already, I actually already have a favorite hook um, for this one. The sunrise line, it got me from the very first time I was rereading this passage. God remembers his covenant with David and with Abraham, and the dawn of the kingdom of God is at hand. So I love the richness of that part of Zechariah's song. 
Another important foundational like hook of the song, though, is the salvation and forgiveness of sins. Because remember, Zechariah is a priest. His job is wrapped up in perpetual sacrifices as a means of forgiveness. And he's singing this song in the temple. And here he is singing about a forgiveness that is outside of the sacrificial system. That's an important part of the Christmas story. This is why Jesus has come. Only the gospel offers real, authentic forgiveness of sin. Nothing else in all the world, money, karma, self-righteousness, power, none of it will satisfy the debt of sin that we owe. Only Jesus, the one to come after John, has brought lasting, legitimate forgiveness of sin if we trust him. So that's some good news worth sharing, isn't it? And that brings us to the angel's song, the third Christmas song that I want to hit this morning. So would you stand again and actually read this one with me? So let's sing it, if you will, together with one voice. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. You may be seated. The context of this verse is literally with the shepherds on the hillside tending their sheep. And we will learn a lot more about this during the Christmas program on December 11th. Um, And you've probably, you have this part of the Christmas story pretty well memorized, I would imagine, if you've been a Christian for a long time especially. But just in case you aren't familiar with Luke 2, Jesus is born. It's kind of a big deal. So this song of the angels emerges from this context of announcing this birth to these lucky, lowly shepherds. So the custom of the father's announcement of birth was in full force even in those days. Of course, nowadays, it's the father's Facebook post and the mother's Instagram that announces these things. But there used to be a time when the father would announce for all in earshot, it's a boy, which I had the privilege of doing with uh, one of my sons. Sarah beat me to it with the first one. (laughs) I also cried with joy announcing it's a girl at our daughter's birth. And there's such a richness of emotion wrapped up in those announcements. So this song is the father's birth announcement of his only son. What a context. What a moment. The scripture tells us that there was a great multitude of heavenly hosts. That's more than one can count. So the whole horizon is filled with luminous beings crying out in what Kent Hughes calls cosmic stereo. Because again, I imagine that every angel would have wanted to be there. Like, who would want to miss that announcement, you know? So literally every angel in creation is there crowding in to get their face in to sing uh, to the shepherds. (laughs) Because this has never happened before in the history of creation. This is the most amazing thing to happen in the universe. God born as man. So even if they're only singing two phrases, (laughs) can't you hear the echo 
of all of those voices reverberating in the night air. And then you hear a sheep bleed out, and it snaps you back. Indeed, the audience of the angel song is the shepherds and sheep. But thankfully, it's also vicariously all of us because their news was for all of those on whom God's favor rests or with whom he is pleased through Christ. And it's actually pretty significant for us. Like we, we actually have the best part of this since we're the ones who are receiving the grace that Jesus brings. So if you're in the audience, as it were, this morning, if you've received God's favor through your faith in Jesus, then you have a song to sing. So when we take time for testimony in just a few moments, share your song. How has God shown his love for you in Christ? How might you testify with thanksgiving to what God has done and is doing? So the hook for the angel's song is the angel's song, <laughs> the whole thing. It, it is its own refrain, the, the promise of peace. The babe in the manger will be the Savior. These phrases are, are very much like a doxology that we find in Revelation 4 and 5. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Glory to God in the highest. So maybe some of you were thinking about this song when I asked what your favorite Christmas song was. Because the angel song is certainly a sermon to remember. In fact, the songs of Luke, all the songs that he begins his gospel with, they actually anticipate all of what Jesus would do. So they helped the reader recognize the importance of not only incarnation, but the crucifixion and resurrection. And even as they celebrate things that God has done to remember his promises, they celebrate things that are currently happening and things to come. So today... To truly celebrate Jesus' birth is to celebrate his life, death, resurrection, and second coming. Just as John encouraged us as he read with a hope candle. So, so what should we remember from Mary's song? First, I think it's so important to remember that God remembers you. He exalts the humble. Make much of him because he remembers you. And second, there's this eschatological tension in this song. There's a lot happening. God has worked, God is working, and God will work. That's because the gospel, the news that we announce, is also action. It's what God has done, is doing, and will do. So the gospel is good news. It's not an encouragement to be good. It's the announcement that Jesus has come to live the life that we couldn't, to die the death that we deserve. And then his resurrection is a guarantee, it's a glimpse of what God is doing to restore all of creation, including us. And then Mary's song reminds us that we have hope. Even when God is silent, he remembers us. Just as God fulfilled his promise to bring the Messiah, his Messiah will come again. What should we remember from Zach's song? 
God brought a sunrise to earth. The root of Jesse, the day spring, the bright morning star. Even when we feel that circumstances are their darkest, the dawn will come. And then God has made a way for true forgiveness of sin, for true salvation from the brokenness of this world. So will you heed the voice of the one to whom Zechariah sang as he held him? The one who cried out in the desert, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This song also bears eschatological tension. God has worked, he is working, and he will work. And this is our hope. He has worked mightily. He is working and he will work all things together for his glory and for our good. And then what should we remember from the angels' song? (laughs) Jesus' birth announcement was more spectacular than every Trans-Siberian Orchestra concert combined. (laughs) And more importantly, Peace is available for those with whom God is pleased. And who is that? God is pleased with his son. So hide yourself in him. Hold fast to hope in Christ alone. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, everybody sings when they really know who he is and why he came into this world. So, I ask Josh and Ricky to come and grab the microphones, and would you share your song, as it were? Uh, would you testify uh, to God's work in your life, or thank him publicly so that we can celebrate with you? Uh, these guys will have these mics just so we can make sure we hear you, and they'll float. Uh, just raise your hand as you have a word to share a testimony to share, and they will bring it to you. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.